Welcome to my new podcast, The Staple Piece. I'm Stephanie Todd. On this podcast, we'll explore a subject I've always been curious about. What's behind the clothes that you wear and where in the world did they originate from? Also, my guests and I will discuss what I like to call the staple pieces of style in hopes to clear up the muddled muck that invades our Instagram feed and unfortunately, sometimes our own closets. We'll also get some juicy insights and advice from our exciting guests, so stay tuned. Today, we're chatting about all things denim, and my guest is Jo Balladeran. She's a merchandising expert based in London. She has traveled the world, and she gives us some great insight about her life, her love for denim, and what her staple pieces are. So here it is. Thank you so much for coming on. I have my good friend, Joe Balladeron, here today on our premiere episode of The Staple Piece. So just a little bit of background. You and I met when you were living in Los Angeles. You are yes. now in London at the moment. And I wanted to bring you on because you have such a fascinating career in fashion. Actually, just a little background for our listeners. You and I both worked at Ralph Lauren Corporate, and you were in London. I was in New York, which is so crazy that our world's kind of connected in L.A., but you've traveled the world, you've worked for many big fashion brands, and you can speak to a lot of different facets of the industry. So I'm so happy that you're on today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting to be here. Yay. So just to get started, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what kind of made you get into fashion. Yeah, sure. So I was born in Colombo, Sri Lanka. I came to London, UK when I was four years old, and I grew up in Southwest London, I got into fashion by accident, actually. I was a makeup artist before, and I saw behind the scenes at Fashion Week the impact of clothing and how it was perceived and how it was expressed. And I really wanted to be more impactful at what I do outside of just being a makeup artist and expressing in that way and be more involved in kind of the product creation, which seemed to kind of really make me curious at the time. So it led me down a path quite haphazardly of meeting different people. I met a couple of fashion buyers and I asked them, you know, what is it about this industry? What motivates you? Just from a curiosity standpoint. And I got into it really for the creation element. And to this day, I think it's the buzz of seeing a complete stranger walking down the street, wearing something that I ideated like two years prior in an office with designers, sat down creating. And the person on the street has no idea what sometimes emotional conversations were involved just to create that item that they are walking down the street quite nonchalantly in their own way. And it makes me go back to those conversations and the discussion and creating with that team. And that gives me chills. And in a very cheesy way, that's really why I kind of got into it and what it energizes about me. Oh, very cool. I often think about that too, because there's such a process just to making a shirt or a pair of pants or even you know a pair of socks. There's yeah. such a whole you know, protocol to doing that. And I think people that aren't in the industry don't realize that. And you made such a good point. So for those that don't know, what exactly is merchandising? Because I know that's your background in fashion or the majority of your background. Tell us what that is. So merchandising, similar to buying in the UK and some other parts of the world, is really the product creation process at work. It's about working with the past, the present and the future all at once so how a merchant really absorbs and assimilates all this information, we take visual stimuli, what's happening in the marketplace with our consumer now, what's artistic, what's cool, what's in music, 
global socioeconomic trends and taste levels of the brand that I work for. So brand DNA, I know you mentioned Ralph and I think they have a very distinctive DNA at Ralph. So it's about encapsulating all of those things. And then I have to anticipate the future needs of the customer before they realize it themselves. So we work very far in advance, about 18 to 24 months ahead of what you would see on the shop floor. And I use data from the past to see what's right now in the marketplace, collaborate with designers to create future product with this knowledge. So it's kind of like a left brain, right brain process where I mix the buzz of what's emerging with up and coming, and then also the business of now and the past. So in one day, I could be working on the sales analysis of today, the product to inform next year, this time, and this season next year, plus developing ideas for the seasons after that, so the future. So I'd be working on three different seasons at once, and my mind has to switch between what's now and project past, present, and future so that we can anticipate the best things for the consumer. So I think that for me, it's really about kind of balancing everything all at once and just learning as I go. Oh, interesting. My mind is spinning just thinking about all 18 <laughs> to 24 months and going back. And then I guess your trend forecasting, is that correct? You're kind yes. of forecasting yeah. what the future will be. And you kind of exactly. have to have those goggles into the future and mm-hmm. know what the consumer is going to want before they want uh-huh. it, which is crazy yeah. to me. <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's like having a little crystal ball. But exactly, is we have ammunition like, you know, last year's sales, what's happening last week and what's going on right now. So we have a good basis of business understanding to make those future crystal ball predictions as well. Huh. That's so interesting. <laughs> so what would you say after being in the industry for so long and doing this both in the UK and in the US, I'm sure, you know, the protocols are different in in different countries, but what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in the industry and kind of wants to take steps towards that? I think that's a great question. And it's something that I would have relied on earlier in my career. I think that for me, it's really about taking that 30,000 view above your current role. So looking at it from a bird's eye view, looking down and going, what can I do to create positive change for myself in this role, but also in this company, because that's what's going to make you stand out. And having a unique selling point like that is what's going to deliver not only for you, your team, but also the company in general. So it's really about kind of how you can make mass effects at a large level, doing what you love doing. And I think I was very lucky that I lucked out in finding something that that was so future forward naturally for me as a person, I think to the future and what's next. And my mind's moving like a hundred miles an hour compared to some people on my team. And I love the grounding of people working at different speeds so that we can collaborate and average out all of our thought processes and make the most commercial product for our consumer. So the average of all of our brain power working together creates the most commercial range that will add value to the consumer. Very interesting. So did you have a mentor? Like, were you an intern and did you have a mentor? Actually cheated. So I started (laughs) as an assistant buyer as opposed to starting at the bottom as an admin or an intern. And I got that through sheer tenacity, just kind of believing in myself and going for interviews. So my first ever job outside of being a makeup artist was going for an interview with the VP at Ralph Lauren. 
he was like, you know, you haven't started as an admin assistant. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I can do this. I know I can do this job. And he took a chance on me. So that was great. He was an amazing mentor to me at the start of my career. And I've been really lucky that ever since then, all of my bosses have actually been my biggest influencers in terms of encouraging me, supporting me, and also coaching me through things that I didn't know. So it's been a great learning experience. And I think that For me, one of the things that was really interesting is I actually worked in menswear in my career and it's made me so objective with what I do so I can justify the range for a consumer that's completely outside of my world. And then what I loved about it also is I could go home at the weekends, develop my own style in my own time and then kind of grow and deliver and go through all these different changes that I had aesthetically for what I liked and what I loved at the time as well. So it was a very separate world. And I love that I grew up in menswear, so to speak. Oh my gosh. I love menswear. I love menswear. I take so much of my inspiration from menswear. I just love all the plaids and everything. But going back to that opportunity that that executive gave you at Ralph Lauren, I always tell people that ask, you know, it only takes one opportunity or one chance for someone to give you to kind of get you in the door. So, you know, I think that's a great story for people because, you know, if you fail or if you you think about giving up, it only takes that one person or that one door to open for that, you know, opportunity to happen. So that's awesome. I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. So switching gears a bit. So our theme today is denim and jeans. And I know that you have a lot of background and experience in the denim and jean world, but I want to talk about staple pieces because that is the name of the podcast. <laughs> And I believe in staple pieces. I mean, that's the basis of my wardrobe and I know probably your wardrobe. And I believe that everyone has their own sense of style. Don't get me wrong. Like I think everyone's style should be celebrated and should be, you know, everyone's style is their own basically. But I do believe that there are certain essentials and timeless things that, you know, you can buy once and you can keep forever in your wardrobe. They're versatile, they're essential. And I know essential is such a big word these days during the pandemic, but For you, what would you say is the one or two big staple pieces that you think are just needed in your wardrobe? I think I agree with you completely that everyone has their own innate style. I think the beauty really comes when the individual comes into their own with what suits themselves individually. So it shows that they have fun, can express themselves and their personality. And that in itself could be a lifetime's work of having fun and experimenting too. So I think if the past year has taught us anything, it's that even the best laid out plans are liable to go awry. For example, the last year has not called for the most of my pack suitcase of clothes, which were ready to wear on a vacation in Bali. So when it comes to essentials, I would look at the practicality element as well as how I can still look and feel like myself. And within that parameter, for me personally, I reach for color in the form of sweats from a brand called Pangea. Mainly I've been living in Pangea. So they've kept me going and have kind of bright, cheerful colorways. Plus the brand has an ethos of sustainability, not only in the product creation process, obviously my merch brain overworking there and thinking and appreciating, but also on a social sustainability level. When it comes to the origin of their producers, they use raw materials where they give back to the producers of that. So it gives me kind of greater confidence as a consumer and a bit more consciousness with what's going on. I think brands are looking for that going forward. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, up until now or the last two years, the Fable staples have always included a tailored jacket, classic denim, a black dress that can be worn up or down, dependent on the environment, a crisp white shirt, ankle boots, and I could go on. I think that when it comes to this year and go forwards, 
I will be reaching for the following. Go to denim. This year, I've kept my denim game pretty simple. It's a pair of OG high-waisted Levi's. You can buy them new. You can buy them vintage. You can pair them up, pair them down with like ankle boots. And I think for me, it's really finding those key simplicity items that kind of give me a throwback to maybe the 90s, which is where I would take inspiration from. So throwing on that with a T and then trusted staple boots like Acne Bottega Veneta. There are many more affordable, greater options as well out there. I think that for me, there's denim kind of straight leg, high-waisted, a Hall of Famers. So they're wear everywhere denim and I've just never got sick of them, even in the pandemic. Tell me about it. I loved, I have to say, I'm going to skip ahead because this question was going to be <laughs> a little bit later, but no, jean trends are crazy. I mean, I have to say every year, like there's a new style. And like you said, I'm loving the high rise Levi's, you know, crop denim. That is like my favorite trend. I hated the skinny. I hated the low rise. I'm bow-legged. So like the skinny, I just look like a freak in those. Would you say your style of jean that's the timeless staple piece is the high-waisted crop? Do you think that's going to stay around? I think it's not going to go anywhere for sure. I think core pieces are definitely changing. So silhouettes, given the nature of what's happened in the world, are getting roomier and more comfortable. So comfort is going to be key going forward and also intentionally kind of voluminous styles. So this has really affected denim going forward. And I think to an extent, gone are the days of kind of Kate Moss skinny jeans for the most part. So the shapes now include probably more baggy, sack-like loose fits, which have become increasingly popular in the last few seasons. And the wider cut leg has really taken kind of fashion forward spotlight. Mm -hmm. The vintage inspired straight legs are not going anywhere. And I think if you're into kind of more distressed as well, you're in luck because I think that's going to be a staple of the moment kind of laid back quality look. And also, interestingly, I think boot cut, which my mom will be happy about, <laughs> while flared jeans are kind of still going to be around, I think boot cut styles with a slight flare, not as drastic, will continue to be a go-to as well. Huh. Okay. I love a boot cut. I'm just picturing Kate Moss and her like light boot cut jeans she, with the, remember when she tucked in the gray sweater? I have that image in my head and I love a boot cut. And she also, can do no wrong, so. I mean, she just does no wrong. Exactly. Yeah. She does no wrong. But speaking of menswear, the boyfriend jean, I guess that, would you say that's still timeless, the boyfriend? I would say so, yeah. I think it's really how you style those things as it comes together with your individual personality, for sure. Right. Right. And what do you think? Okay, this is the million dollar question. What do you think about matching denim top, denim jeans? Do they have to be the same color? Can they be different colors? I'm just visualizing. I don't know if you remember this in the 90s or the 2000s, Britney, Justin Timberlake at the American Music Awards and their like double denim ensemble. It was like all over. What do you think? I mean, I think there's a place for everything when worn with confidence, right? So denim on denim is actually part of my go-to uniform for work. So I was known for it in big meetings. It's always, what's Joe going to wear? Oh, maybe denim shirt with denim. And then maybe- a triple denim look. So I would do on risque days, I'd wear like a workwear kind of stand collar jacket, a menswear inspired jacket on top of it that I'd got from the Rose Bowl or something like that. So I love that I had like this double denim wardrobe at work after working for a few denim brands. And then really kind of at the weekend, I could rely on kind of maybe playing a bit and having more feminine dresses or heels and that kind of thing. So it kind of gave me a good balance. What's interesting is uh, one of my friends recently had a dress code for her birthday brunch and it was explicitly double denim. Oh that my gosh. So it was amazing. It was really entertaining to say the least to look at what the blue denim world could be in the future. 
Oh my gosh, I love that. I want to go to a denim on denim party. And maybe no, when you come I to LA, we can get some, something arranged. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it for sure. It's not a bad idea, right? Yeah. So in general, kind of just generally speaking for your wardrobe, are there go-tos, like go-to combinations that you just automatically go to if you're running to the market or you're just you know, weekend or during the week. For me, I like to, for instance, I would say Anna Wintour. You see her a lot in the long dresses with the boot and the stacked heel. Like that's her go-to staple outfit. What would you say yours is? I think for me, it's kind of investment piece 101. So goes with everything, leather or faux jacket would be great. So like a high quality jacket can last for decades. It improves with age and makes any outfit look effortlessly cooler than it did before. So for me, if you've ever wondered whether a jacket would be noticeably improving your life, the answer is yes, it absolutely will. (laughs) I think a statement cone goes a long way as well. So at the moment, I'm kind of imagining a Carrie Bradshaw running through the streets of New York wearing pajamas and a fur coat. And that oh, I love that statement coat for me in my mind. And obviously, given the moment, it's kind of super soft sweats as well. So I think I'm not the only person who's definitely been stocking up on loungewear in the past year and a half. And I think it must be many a first for the pandemic purchases. And I think it's just earned that coveted spot of the list of things to wear maybe three, four times a week now. Oh, I love that. I love that. And where you are in London, I feel like there's so much more of an opportunity to be versatile and wear the coats and wear the, you know, layers. In LA, we just get the hot weather every day, you know, so it's, we're dying for our cashmere sweaters and our coats because we never get to wear them, you know? (laughs) I think that for me, yeah, it's cashmere long sleeves that could play up kind of long sleeve tees as well and take their place at the moment and statement coats at the moment that are going to be key. I love that. Temperamental weather in London. Yeah. We're actually having <laughs> London weather today. I don't know if you see. I heard. Okay. Yes. So great. I'm on my third cup of coffee. I should drink some oh British tea right now. So who would you say is your style icon? Like just overall who you love? I think that for me, growing up as a Sri Lankan girl in London, I have a mix of influences. So some of them are like from my culture and from peers and experiences in London. Growing up in London, obviously, like many other girls, I've loved Kate for her effortless style. And as a young girl, there was one Southeast Asian model in the early 90s, Yasmin Gowri. And oh, I love me, her. Even then, representation mattered. So growing up and envisioning how things would look on someone who resembled me in features and skin tone. Another icon for me is really Diane von Furstenberg. I think she's an absolutely inspiring woman. Her life story is inspiring. I've read her mother of her mother's strength at surviving a concentration camp and how it influenced her outlook as a strong woman. And there's a quote that she has that I'll just never forget. And it's the most important relationship in your life is the relationship you have with yourself. Mm. And I think as I've grown, I've really looked at people more recently that have more purpose that resonate on a deeper level with me. So people like Kat Sadler, who's an e-entertainment news presenter, was an e-entertainment news presenter, has great style and a fabulous home in LA and supports great causes close to my heart. Another one that I definitely look up to is Shanina Sheikh, who's a model from Melbourne, where I used to live for a time before I moved to LA and has great going out style. And I think the past year has really opened me up to kind of the tremendous importance of interiors. And since we spend so much time at home, it's made us all a bit more house proud. Kelly Wurstler, an interiors goddess, who designed one of the coziest hotels I adore, the Santa Monica proper, Mm -hmm. fuses old and new in a way that's kind of timeless and reminds me of the colonial era hotels in Sri Lanka growing up with undulating kind of palms 
amongst kind of modern art deco pieces. So very welcoming, unassuming, and her personal style exudes that same confidence with well-worn kind of loved appeal. And I'm in search of these gold boots that she wore in a recent Harper's Bazaar article while touring her Malibu home. So if anyone knows what they are, please let me know. You're kidding me. Absolutely amazing. I have to Google that image. Okay. Obsessed. I've screenshot it. I just can't find it. So if anyone can let me know, that would be great. Will you send it to me? Was it recent? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All of our (laughs) listeners, everyone out there, if you see those gold (laughs) boots, find them for Joe. Obsessed. Very, very happy. (laughs) Well, I love all those icons. I have to agree with you, I think. And I love Kelly Wurstler. She's such an icon here in LA and her style is just so original, even the way she dresses. And yeah, the Santa Monica proper is gorgeous. And having gone to India, which is very, you know, close to Sri Lanka, I agree. Like it is very colonial. I never thought about that actually. Yeah. As soon as I walked into the lobby, I just had this, like, you know, the smell of hotels and everything's quite reminiscent. I was like, oh my God, I have to bring my mom here because she would absolutely love it. She loves those kinds of hotels when we go back home to Sri Lanka. So I was just like, this is just like being at home. It's really strange. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll have to go to Sri Lanka then. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of style and, you know, the current state of social media and Instagram, we were just talking about TikTok before we got on this interview there's so much out there. I feel like so much muddled just trends and so much muck out there when it comes to style and design. And I know a lot of designers are doing things that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily consider stylist, like the oversized combat boot, you know, that almost looks like a clown. I don't know. For those of you that like those, good, great. But I feel like there's this Instagram tunnel and, you know, these designers will get us to pay a thousand dollars for a pair of boots that we'll only wear for a certain season. But what do you think of that? I mean, what do you think of the whole Instagram, social media? You know, I just feel like when I get on, I'm so confused. I get so foggy because I feel like, you know, they're almost taking us in a direction where we don't need to go, you know? (laughs) I think, yeah. One of the things that comes to mind is just the Coco Chanel quote, where fashion changes, but style endures. Mm -hmm. And I think the rules really are now that there are no more rules. And I see kids and the future kids creating and influencing designers now. So the whole system's been kind of toppled over. And it's great to see where that can go. For me, fashion's really becoming more of an inclusive space and people really have voices even at the bottom up now. So for me, I kind of look at the recent Fashion Week in Paris and there's always been enthusiasts outside of the shows, but this year it really feels like they were seen and heard and the barriers are broken down. And for me, that's liberating to see the kids showing up like that. There's kind of a genuine authenticity about how kids can express their individuality these days. And I think it's what's going to propel fashion forwards, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. So the misfits, the outliers, the people that weren't accepted, they've always been bold and audacious. And I love how that empowered feeling is contagious. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think it's as long as it suits you and it's your personal style and lifestyle, it's empowering and it inspires. We don't need to live on like a luxe level version. If you can do it for yourself, find it at the Rose Bowl market, There's so many vintage iterations that will and have come back again and again that are well-loved. I even love now when you look at Vogue UK, they have articles where they show accessible versions of product that anyone can afford. I didn't have that growing up. So I would see all these 
unaffordable like Balenciaga, Bottega jackets and things that I could never afford as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so accessible now because it's kind of been turned topsy-turvy. So the other side of it is so positive. So we strive for things kind of externally more when I was younger, especially in less secure of myself. And I think these days, fast fashion is so much more present in social, but truthfully, it really starts with kind of where do you add value? Where do you see it adding value to your life? So I would ask these questions to myself before I buy anything. And that's the advice that I would give to anyone that goes kind of down a rabbit hole because it's very easy to do. So the questions you ask before buying anything is thoughtful purchasing, right? So how does it add value? Can it go with like 10 different items? Can I see me wearing it different ways up or down dressed up? for going out or even for lounging with family at home. There may be a better way of doing things. And in particular, trends don't really, you know, if they don't need to last that just for that season, I would look at investing for things and being a bit more thoughtful with purchasing. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that question. Where does it add value? Because I think if you ask yourself that before you make a big expensive purchase, I think it's going to be something that's going to help you. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, going to the consignment shop or going to the Rose Bowl, like you mentioned, and buying that vintage pair of Levi's that's timeless. You buy it for a dollar. And then you have that staple piece Chloe coat that you paid $1,200 for. You mix it up, you wear it, and you look like, you know, Carolyn Bissett Kennedy, who's one of my style icons. And, you know, if you look back at her pictures from 30 years ago, she looks timeless and she's, yes, maybe she's wearing an expensive product coat, but she probably has on a pair of Levi's, you know, and it still works in today's, you know, what are we in 2021? So I think that's a great, great question to ask. And I think I want to leave it there. What will add value to you? I'm going to quote you and use that in the next couple episodes, if you don't mind. Okay, I love <laughs> so what it. What is next for you? Tell us what is next for you and where can our listeners find you? Where can they locate you? Well, I'm on all social media outlets, so they can find me quite exclusively on there. I think for me, my love of creation of product is always there at the forefront of my mind. I'm a very visual person and I see things in my mind's eye before they come into fruition in the physical realm. So I think product for me personally is changing directions now. So during the past year, I've been given the gift of time, like most people have. And I've been doing some memoir writing courses and a workshop called The Artist's Way, which has led me to kind of fulfill a long time goal of sharing my story in memoir form. So I'm working on it currently to share my career and travel journey after living in five countries and traveling to over 30. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that. You didn't tell no. me that. Didn't tell anybody that. <laughs> that is amazing. Wow, that's a lot of countries to visit too. Oh my gosh. So I'm, I imagine that you've got a lot to share with our listeners and with everyone. And do you know when you're going to be finished? You're, take, you're taking the courses now. So I finished the courses and now okay. it's kind of deadline time. So I've given myself a projected deadline of the end of the year to finish the writing and then editing and publishing next year. Okay, great. Well, we'll look out for it on your social media and hopefully you'll have a website and everything when you're done with your book. And wow, this was such a great interview. Thank you so much. So oh informative, so thoughtful, and we can't wait to have you in LA. So thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. That's it for our show today. And before I go, here's a staple piece tidbit. Did you know that denim was not invented in the US? Brook Shields may have made it famous, but actually the term jeans was originated from the word jeans with a G, which is French for Genoa. And the word denim came from a little town in France called Nimes. 
Denim caught the eye of businessman Levi Strauss in the 1800s, and Strauss used this new fabric, he reworked it as denim, to create what became known as blue jeans. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the staple piece on social media, and please rate, review, and subscribe. We'll see you next time.